Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Serbian Corner Season 2, Episode 3, or Episode 43, if that sounds more impressive. We won't be talking about the steamroller that are the Nuggets today for the whole show, because, you know, I'm already preparing the parade and everything. I wanted to make a special episode today, so we'll do one segment about the current state of the Nuggets, but then we'll talk in a special manner, in a special episode kind of way, which is, you know, not a surprise since all my episodes are pretty special. I wanted to make an Adam Mares interview and and show everybody, and hopefully he'll be uh, willing to, to share with us what his uh, uh, career as a media person looked like from his last interview with Brendan Boat back in 2019 when both of them were still working on the dev for the Denver Stiffs. Uh, I wanted to 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 get a little glimpse of his career after that. But before we go there, let me welcome everybody's favorite uh, bully on the DNVR Nuggets, Adam Ares. Oh, hey, hey there. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> for a moment, you thought I wouldn't let you in, right? Well, you know what's actually funny is I didn't. I was looking at a different screen. So when we started, I was talking. And then when you weren't listening, I flipped over to this screen and was like, oh, I'm not on. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, just a thing I like to do. Adam, at this moment, Nuggets are very, very impressive. We can, we can even say that even that Philly game we had several days ago, that was like two-thirds of really impressive game. There are some concerns about what happened in the second half, especially how Nikola Jokic approached that game. Are there concerns? And in all sincerity, like that's the funny thing about that game is, is it concerning long-term or did it just suck? And now we have to sit, you know, sit with it. What I think about it is that like Nikola approached that game pretty normally. Like that was not his, his Super Bowl. Like it was Joel's, I guess. So he was just playing the right the right place for most of the game. Yeah, he had some uh, some uh, uh, strange turnovers in the second quarter, second half that are not really characteristic to to him. But other than that, I mean, he had a pretty pretty usual game. I would say it's the other guys that didn't show up in a meaningful way, like. If you compare the game against Golden State last night, Golden State sure. 
Jamal Murray was awesome on that game. And yeah. you, when you have an awesome Jamal and you have a just a standard Nikola Jokic, you're just team rolling ab- over everybody. I mean, I agree with you that I thought Nikola was fantastic in the first half, like sneaky perfect. Um, and I think the team strategy, as I've talked about before, Embiid is going to have big games against Denver always, unless they had changed their strategy. But I think part of their strategy is, you know, we'll let him shoot jumpers outside of the paint, and if he makes a bunch, we'll still win. Um, the thing that, and I'm I'm of the opinion that I'm not concerned about the Philly game just yet. Is like it's it points to something broader for Denver. Other than, I just as much as I can agree with you that some other guys didn't step up in this at that moment. We just haven't seen Jokic not step up in that moment in a long time, in a long time. So that's the only thing to me that I would call concerning. But I'm not really concerned about it. You know what, Nikola likes to figure out guys and he didn't have a lot of chances to play against Embiid to be honest yeah. I mean he was trying to guard Embiid and Embiid wasn't trying to guard Jokic <laughs> I mean he he did try and he failed so then they switched it up and and had a winning formula I will say game. in a playoffs I'm curious to see if the PJ Tuckers of the world get away with murder on Jokic because that's part of why PJ that's why it was so funny that both teams got a technical almost immediately when you made that because it was both teams know we can't do this honestly. We have to win the officiating battle here. Like either for Denver side, we need them to call every time every foul that he puts on him, or on their side, we need them to just allow more contact because of the size mismatch. And honestly, I think Yoke has to solve it either way, and I think he will. You know, not just with with Tucker, but with all players of that elk. But I do think that it's the biggest variable that nobody talks about in the NBA is that sometimes they just let the Jay Crowders of the world hack the shit out of people, digs, and they just don't call it for whatever reason. Yeah, that's that's fair. Let, let's hope this time around. I mean, I would really love that finals matchup. You know why? Because I would love any finals matchup. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a pretty sweet outcome either way. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully. I mean, it would be legendary. If you think about it, it would be like I don't know who are the like like uh, uh, Chamberlain against uh, um, oh Jesus uh, Bill Russell kind of kind of matchup. I don't I don't think there was ever a time in 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 history that you had two great uh, centers playing against each other in the in the East in the West. So that's that would be pretty cool. Tell me, we we were talking uh, before the show. You seems a you seem a bit worried uh, just before the trade deadline with these Kyrie Irving news and and other stuff that's going on yeah. in the NBA. Are you afraid of some kind of a doomsday scenario that's going to happen in the West? The doomsday scenario is more about OG Ananobi to me than it is about Kyrie. Kyrie's a chaos agent that like I wasn't even thinking about him that much. I do worry about Kyrie going to the Lakers. Because I think the Lakers is presently constructed probably don't beat Denver. I mean, one out of every 10 or something like that. But I think Denver is such heavy favorites in that series that I would feel okay. But if they got Kyrie Irving, you just rep, you just introduce so much chaos, so much. T- and, and by the way, it would be for nothing. It would be for future assets and Russell Westbrook, who's a negative to them. So to me, yeah, that that really does scare me. And then you look at the other two teams that are being rumored and reported right now, Dallas, which again, Dallas has Luka, who's scary. But I don't think they have enough around him to be scary in the playoffs. To me, Dallas is not a team I fear right now. If you gave them Luke, or if you gave them Kyrie, 
it to me that would be a combination that is somewhere in between LeBron Kyrie in 2016 and Luca Brunson 2022. It's like somewhere in between that. It would be, in my opinion, the right type of player to put next to Luca because you play five out, the paint's open. You're either closing out hard on Kyrie or you're spread. I mean, it's just it would be so hard to contain Kyrie in a five out offense. So for me, that would be a doomsday one. And then the Chris Paul for Kyrie trade is also terrifying. I think that one's more chaos because Phoenix is already good. But if they were to land him for that type of deal and retain all of their core players that are really impactful, I just that would be another one to me that would be pretty pretty concerning. When you say Brunson, like replacing Brunson, he would be like Brunson on steroids, which may or may not be a figure yeah. of speech. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, the other you you said OG on an Obi. Who who are you afraid of of getting OG? The number one team would be uh, Memphis. I'd be afraid of Memphis getting him because they have the assets to do it without losing what I would consider to be a core piece. And their problem right now is. They're not quite good enough offensively in the half court, and they have offensive lineups and defensive lineups. I think if they got OG Ananobi, they would have a two-way top five, and that would be concerning to me. Like That's the one reason I think Denver would handle Memphis in a playoff series is I just don't think Memphis can go in on both stopping Denver and scoring on Denver. They'd have to pick one and hope it's enough, and I don't think it would be. The other team is Portland, who... More of a long shot. I guess I shouldn't say the other team. Phoenix has been rumored in the mix. New Orleans has been mixed. All those teams would be good. But Portland is the wild card to me where I like right now, I don't fear Portland at all. I think Denver wins that in five games or four. But there are little moves they can make where I would be like, man, that's going to make it really hard. And I don't think they would stop Denver, but they could create a, a team where it's like, man, that's going to be a 135-130 series every night. Listen, I, I we still remember that 2018 playoff run against... Portland that wasn't better than than the Nuggets, but still they had Dame putting 50 in every game. So it's just it's annoying if 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 nothing more than that. Yeah, I agree about the Memphis. Memphis really really suck at at half court offense, which is pretty important for the for the playoffs. Maybe maybe with OG that 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 would be more more uh, more of a problem for for the Nuggets because even if they put that defensive lineup out there. I don't think they're stopping the Nuggets. You think they they could stop the Nuggets? I mean, stop is relative, right? Like, I mean, did, Denver. Did I think offense. Denver. Last night, Denver had a 116 defensive rating, which is pretty bad. They had a 140 offensive rating, which is insane. <laughs> And I I said last night that I think if Denver, can you count on Denver to have a 116 offensive rating against every team in the NBA in the playoffs? I think so, but that's yeah. about the mark. Can they be better? No question about it. They can, but are you? can you count on it? I don't know. So can Memphis hold Denver to a 116 offensive rating, which would be really, really good for a playoffs, 99th percentile? Could they? That's the question you're asking. And like, if they had OG Ananomi, Dylan Brooks, and Jaron Jackson Jr. with Steven Adams as another, and Brandon Clark, these other bodies that you just get to throw at Jokic, yeah, I think they could. One, I don't think they're holding them to 109, but 116, yeah. And now you're talking about can Denver hold John ja Morant and Desmond Bain to that same mark? That's tough. Yeah, uh, I, I I hate it when the the trade line approaches and we have more pessimism than like a week ago. But I guess that's the ebbs and flows of the NBA season. We we just have to live with it, and hopefully we'll we'll get on the on the top side of the the story 
at the end. So, since this is a Serbian corner, it's really fair to to speak uh, an extensive uh, extensive time about Nikola Jokic because this guy he is de facto on the run to the to the third MVP this season because he's 25 point triple double on 70% true shooting while being a number one seed in the West comfortably by the way comfortably right. was that like four games yeah. in front of Memphis that's that's yeah. insanity that's that's really a lot of games so uh before every season we usually have our hot takes about Nikola Jokic and most of them do not get too hot by the end of the season and <laughs> before so this true. season before this season or right at the beginning of this season i said that i expect nikola to break his uh, uh, triple double record meaning that he will have more than 20 triple doubles in a season this season and i said like 25 28 whatever it was needed for so him true. to overtake LeBron James on the all-time list, like for number four or whatever it is. I haven't looked at that uh, yeah, list yeah. For, for a while. You know what? He's just blazing through that. Then I said, okay, I think he can average a triple-double, and I said it like a month ago. And now he's already five assists above that you know, <laughs> threshold of 10, 10 assists per game. What are you calling this? The, like, it's, he's plus five... Plus five net ten APG. So net ten, okay. Net ten APG, yeah. Okay. Assist per game, yeah. So he's five assists above that, so he can slack and have five assists next game, and he'll still have a triple double average. And I was already getting ready to fire off a, a take that Nikola would next season lead the NBA in total assists. And right now he has two assists less than Trey Young, who is leading the league. Two assists less. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just call him a, a league leader in assists per game. What, what's the what's the what's the limit for this guy? Assist wise, it's funny. I mean, I was looking at this earlier, late last night, and earlier today. But Nikola, it's not just that he's averaging ten assists; it's that they're going up. By a lot. In fact, he's more likely at this moment to have 12 assists over the last like 20 games. He's more likely to have 12 than nine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing is he just looks so comfortable and he looks, to, he looks, we know this from watching him, but he does go through like rhythms. And a lot of this has to do with what the team needs, but we know when it's like, Oh, Yoke's really looking, being aggressive lately. He's trying to score or Yoke's trying to set the table more. He's clearly in a moment right now of trying to set the table. He just feels so confident in the shooters he has and the different things that I don't think he's being passive as a scorer, but he's certainly not being his most aggressive over the last handful of games because it's working and because he knows he can get these assists. So since Christmas, Miroslav, how many games do you think Jokic has had with fewer than 10 assists? Like three. So the answer is five. Four of those he had nine assists. <laughs> So four of those was nine. He had a six assist game against Sacramento on the second night of a back-to-back. And then I think that leaves like 11 or 12 games where he's had double-digit assists, including a 16, 15, 13, 14, 16, like some big, big numbers. So for me, I'm with you, man. Leading the league in assists, right now he's trending towards averaging 12 or 13 for the rest of the year. You know, back in 2004, uh, Sacramento Kings, they were our team in Serbia because of Peja and Vlade. 
And Chris Webber got hurt at the beginning of the season and he missed most of the season. And Pedro Stojkovic used that season to up his points per game average to almost 25. He was fourth in the MVP voting right. because Sacramento was like number one or number two seed in the West. We got a similar thing last year with Nikola. He was playing without his guys and he for the last two seasons, really. And he really increased his... Uh, his um, um, production, but now that he have all of his guys, his production is even more impressive, because now he can he can dish out twelve assists with such ease. He usually has like five assists by the seven minute mark in the first quarter, <laughs> which is like I don't know, like like Scott Skiles tempo right. of of making assists. So is there? Are you prepared to make a, a, a new hot take you've never had about him to update your hot take list of, of Nikola Jokic? Man, I don't know because I don't have a single one that I've been like chewing on, you know? Do you, you have some? I, you get us started. You have to have one. Yeah, well, well, the hottest take I would have is for this season, for him to average, uh, to lead the league uh, in assists per game. Which is crazy because you have Tyrese Halliburton has like like one assist more or one and a half actually more, which it is, is quite a big a, it's a big gap. But he has uh, missed a lot of games. He might even drop off the list because he doesn't qualify with with enough games. For James the list. Harden I, is actually ahead, is the number one right now. He's got eleven assists a game, yoke ten. So Halliburton is not on the list. Halliburton is second with 10.3. Jokic is actually okay. third. Okay, okay, yeah. So that would be the hottest I can go. Okay. Because I, I really think he can he can have the most total assists. You know, right. he's so close yeah. already. So that wouldn't be really a hot take. But but leading the league in the assists, I mean, imagine the meltdown from Nick Wright. <laughs> I think if I had another hot take just off the top of my head, I think there's a good chance Yoke finishes the season 60-40-80, which is a, a twist on the 50-40-90. In some ways, it's it's more impressive if you think about it. Like 50-40-90, if you took 10% off of the, th the free throw shooting and added it to just the field goal shooting, that's basically what you're getting. And this is why it's hard to do the Jokic like, hot box and hot takes that me and vote used to always love doing where we just make up like what's the what's the craziest thing it's so hard because at the start of the year i never would have like triple double average that's when i would have come up with i think it's possible we all saw it was possible and now he's doing it we would never would have said he's going to shoot 70 percent true shooting we just wouldn't have come up with that we wouldn't have conjured it up yet here we are somehow the guy doesn't miss shots so um this is where it gets really <laughs> this is where it gets tricky i'll say this I wouldn't be surprised if the Nuggets finished the season as the number one offense by a considerable margin. And that would be especially impressive when you factor in that they weren't the number one offense until like January. But if they end up being like one or two points per 100 possessions as an outlier, I kind of feel like they're headed that direction. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. It's not, it's not really a Nikola Jokic hot take. But, but it is. If you think about it, it's it's all about him. It is. Yeah. How impressed are you with, with Jamal's level of play right now? Have you ever seen a better Jamal than what we've seen right now? Vlaco was asked this last night, and he still said the bubble is there. I still have to give him the bubble. And I'll agree, just 
because there is something too when you score at that level it nothing else matters <laughs> and jamal but i will say that i think jamal looks to me better right now at every other aspect of basketball yeah besides, he's a more, more complete player yeah more complete like he's just better at every other aspect of it except for the scoring output that he was at and i was sitting next with ryan blackburn for part of this last night who we all know is a, a big jamal guy and i told him i still think like as good as jamal is scoring by the way he's scoring at his old rate like if you look at his numbers he's back to 20 points per game which is what he was before he got hurt he's scoring at the same rate as his peak regular season but I still feel like there's an extra burst to his game that is on the table, that we've seen him athletically play at a higher level than he is now. And he doesn't look hampered by the injury or anything. I just think he still looks about – this is crazy to say because it's not a lot. I think he still looks like three to five pounds overweight. Not overweight, just from his peak athleticism. And I have a feeling that after this All-Star break, he'll probably take a little vacation, a little mini vacation. I have a feeling after the All-Star break, we're going to start to see him drop a pound or two a week you know, over the next four weeks as he gets ready for the playoffs. I just I just wish for him that we stop uh, grading him on a scale. I just want to, to stop doing that. I want for him to become a bona fide superstar, like a, like a bona fide top 25 player in the, in the league, top 20 maybe. Right. I mean, because I, I just don't, I don't want him to set, for being a top 50 guy, which right. he probably is 100%. right, right yep. now, which is, which is, which is good. I mean, <laughs> if you want to be top 50 in the world in anything, that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. But we all feel that he has it in him to, to, to be a uh, consistent night in night out. And if he manages to get to that space, to that place. And I think when his athleticism, as you said, catches up to his uh, new level of general and uh, general basketball play is it's it's really in the cards if we get that kind of production from him if we get him to become an all-star next season that's like then we can speak about realistically having a a, a perennial championship contender for the next right. like 3 years I'm trying to find the Ringers' updated top 100. Is this it right here? Is this the trade value? This might, yeah, this is the NBA ranked. All right, I'm trying to find where he was. I think he was 40th or something on there. And to your point, man, is this? I think this is the wrong. Is this the right one? I'm trying to find it. The Ringer has like a confusing interface. There it goes. Now I found it. All right, and I just want to look at some of the names that he is behind because it shows you how much more room there is. And I'm with you, like. As a player, you come in, he's, yeah, he's 48th. As a player, you come into these things like hungry to be the best. I want to prove that I'm that guy. And the injury maybe has like milded that a little bit. But like, is he better than Bradley Beal? Right now, he's ranked behind him. Yeah. Bradley Beal's kind of like just a loser, you know, at the moment, like this guy that we don't really <laughs> count on. DeJounte Murray is ranked ahead of him on the ringer right now. Like the guys that he is behind are guys that LaMelo Ball that he should look at and say, like, these guys are not on my level. Desmond Bain is 20 spots or, or 13 spots ahead of him. Like, that's an enormous amount for a guy that came in after you. So that I'm with you that Jamal, to me, is better than these guys, but I also don't think it's unfair that he's ranked behind him. I just think he has to get to that level that we that level of fitness we know he can get to. My, my favorite comp for him is Darren Fox, who yeah. is having a great season in Sacramento. And 
I don't know why he should be a better player than, than Jamal. It makes zero sense to me because I'm really low on Darren Fox, even though he's really having a great season, and I, I acknowledge that. But, man, I, w- I, was, I was shitting on that guy for five years straight, and now I have to, to look at him being, honestly, re- a lot better than Jamal, on average, if, if you look you for, think? for the whole season. I think he, he was. I mean, I think he, we cut out Jamal's was... first 20 games. That's not true. I mean, like, I put those first 20 games in its own yeah, little Yeah, but, but we wanted to do that with Jokic like three three seasons ago, and you cannot cut off, you know. Next year, I agree. Season, yeah. Next year, I agree. This year, it's more about the injury recovery and the timing yeah. and everything to me. It's a me. So I, I know what you're saying. But the thing is, is like I just mentioned all those guys who are outside the top 30. What I really mean to say is, are we sure that Jamal Murray is not better than Devin Booker? Are we sure he's not better than Shea Gilgis Alexander? And Devin Booker right now is a top 10 player. He's number 10 on their ringer their rankings. And this is what I mean about it's not a hate, it's not like a disdain for Jamal or being tough on him or anything like this. I just I honestly set such a high standard because I know he can and should be that. He has incredible footwork. He's a great shooter, but he's also great off the dribble. He's a great finisher at the rim. He's got the size. He can play good defense. He has a great two-man game, a good passer. Like he has more aggregate skills than most of these guys he just has to reach that top score level that he did in the bubble we've have this uh, this uh, i would say a strange report about michael malone having a one on one with michael porter recently giving him a lot of uh, um comforting and and saying that the team is with you we know what you're going through and uh, we really appreciate you being the the best guy you can be for this team. What are your main takeaways uh, f- from that? Yeah, I mean, in in uh, in contrast to what is happening right now with Bones Highland. Well, I think Michael Malone consistently speaks to everybody on the roster, so I don't think there's any freezing a guy out. And maybe it speaks to this. What I will say is, Harrison Wind had a great anecdote at the Winners Lounge last night where he had mentioned that he had heard that the Bones fallout has been a galvanizing moment for the team and Michael Porter. And credit Michael Porter. This is, I I think sometimes, I don't know if this is the case, but I do think that from personal experience, you could come into a new situation as the youngest guy and feel as though the world's against you. Well, why are they holding me to this standard? Why do they keep singling me out? And I imagine that Michael Porter felt this years back when he's like, but I score every time. Like when I do this, I score. Like, why are you guys asking me to be less than? And I think he went through that and probably never truly like he bought he has bought in over the years, but I don't know if he ever truly like saw why he had to buy in. And sometimes when you see another guy come in now younger, going through the exact same thing, now you have a third person perspective from it. It's not you going through it, it's somebody else, and you're kind of like, oh now. And I just wonder if there's a little bit of that going on with Porter right now, where he's like, is that what I was like? You know, is that what you guys were saying? Like now I kind of see it. And on top of that, the team from Wind Report, the team has been effusive in sort of their acknowledgement of Michael Porter and the sacrifices he's made and the level of which he's fit into the team this year. So it's one sort of when you talk about Michael Malone talking to Michael Porter and this or that, I imagine those are what some of those conversations are like is like. Are you feeling the appreciation that you've earned from all of us? If if we just look at the, let's call them three main guys, even though I consider Aaron Gordon to be firmly in the core 
of the team. But if you look at Jokic, Jamal, and Porter, what would be your highest stonk report on the three of those guys? Who surprised you in a positive manner the most out of those three? I mean, you know, this is the easiest one. It's Aaron Gordon. Uh, he even last year did not show that he was set for this type of year. I mean, honestly, if you go back to our preseason conversations about Aaron Gordon, our expectations were more in line with when he first arrived here. And if you go back, he scored 10 points a game that first year. 10. That's like a good fit-in role player, but you're not doing a whole lot. You're just kind of there. Right now, I think he's at 16 or something like that. He's a legitimate candidate for a big three. Denver doesn't really have a big three, as you just kind of referenced. They really have a big two and then t- two or three more main guys right behind them. But um, So Aaron Gordon, for me, because he has been – he just punishes teams in the exact perfect way and a near-perfect um, usage. You know, he's not he's not punishing teams in a way that's like, all right, but we don't need that. He's punishing them almost exactly to the degree that he needs to punish them. We'll We'll transition into the second half of this show when we will be speaking about your visit to Serbia and, and stuff like that. And I just want to ask you before that, do you now see better why the Serbs were so high on Aaron Gordon? <laughs> what I love about this thing, cause, I mean, yes, but what I love about this is that we almost treat the Serbs as if they're like the Jedi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's like, well, if the Serbs say it, it must be true. They have a sense of these things that are deeper and truer. They're more connected to the, the soul of basketball. Um, it was The funny thing about the connection to Aaron Gordon was so many Serbs had talked about the reason they feel connected to him, not just because of how he plays. And, you know, obviously he plays a very um, unselfish brand of basketball, which I think can, can be used synonymously with like a European style. I don't think that's fully fair, but nonetheless, let's use it for now. But I think that the thing that was funny is so many people say, yeah, he was robbed. That's why we like him. We like people who were robbed. He was robbed of a dunk contest. So he's our he's our guy. I think the, an extra thing about uh, him that people in Serbia like about him that it never feels like he's taking away shots from Jokic. You know, yeah. I think that's probably the main reason, honestly. Because, yeah, you know, if you have a really, really good player who is playing real good defense and he's really in the team concept of the offense as well. And on top of that, he's not stealing away the shots from Jokic the way Will Barton used to do, the way like Jamal will do from time to time, Michael Porter before. So you, you can you can see that it's it's a very selfish reason, really, <laughs> to, to like a guy. Like he he doesn't ask anything from me and he gives me everything. So and he and he makes Jokic look better. And there's a real interesting question I've long thought. I think the Daryl Morey school of basketball is that team building is all about making your best player look the best. Because if your best player looks the best, then you're good. And I think that's mostly true. But I don't know if it's universally true. And I do wonder if there's a player you could add to the Nuggets roster, just in theory, again, we're doing an abstract. If you could add a player to the Nuggets roster that made Jokic worse, but the team better. I don't know if it, they, what the answer is to that. Luka would be the guy as the best test case of this because I think Luka would make Jokic worse just because you would need Jokic less on offense. Yeah, maybe LeBron in the same way, same manner. Maybe. I mean, I, 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 would, I would expect Luka to be looking for Nikola more than, than LeBron, you know, just because of the seniority and everything. 
to be honest, like if, if this would never happen again, these are hypotheticals, yeah, but if LeBron so. specifically came to Denver, it would be best for Denver if LeBron just played like Aaron Gordon or Mike, Michael Porter. Like if it was, no, we're not changing the system. You're just one of the guys now. And it would never yeah. happen, but that would be, I think it would actually even be better than if you gave it to LeBron and said, yo, now you fit into the LeBron system. I honestly think that lowers Denver's offensive upside. <laughs> I mean, imagine him being in the dunker spot and getting easy looks 20 times a game. <laughs> I even <laughs> just think he would average 40. He would actually be in the Will Barton role, I think, more like in theory, and that he would be more in the secondary ball handle. Like you run pick and roll with Jamal, and then you swing it to LeBron and run pick and roll with LeBron, and it works every time. <laughs> okay. I think we're bullshitting too much right now, so it's a good time to, to take a short break and uh, move to the segment two. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back. So, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, the OGs of the digital part of Nuggets fanhood remember one of my favorite podcasts from the distant digital past. It was the Full Court Press on the Denver Stiffs podcast channel, hosted by Brandon Vogt. And it was a show where Brandon would interview a Denver Nuggets media personality and talk to them about their respected careers in media. We've all had the chance to listen to Katie Wingy, Mike Singer, Matt Moore, TJ McBride, Vic Vela, Jeff Morton, Mike Olson, Nick Kosminder, Zach Mikash, Christian Clark, and, and many, many more. But I always wanted to get a part three to the Adam Mares interviews. The original interviews were made right after Adam made his Will Barton audio documentary in October 2018, and then again in May 2019, right after... The, the Nuggets lost that uh, uh, second round uh, series against the lousy Portland Trailblazers. I often refer to these shows because those were my first insights into what it looks like to cover the Nuggets in an inventive way. Everything you, Adam, and Brandon said in those uh, shows was, in fact, what the DNVR is actually doing today, just on a large, larger That's scale. Cool. The ideas were the same. It's just you didn't have the budget to 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 make them happen back then. That's so really that's cool. that's why I wanted to do the the part three today and just recap your your career for the last three years or something like that. So uh, just for the people that are not as crazy focused on the timeline timeline like I am, the months after that May two thousand nineteen were the last months uh, for you and Brandon in Denver Stiffs. 
But before we get into your transition to the DNVR, can you tell us about your professions before you became <laughs> the, the full-time media guy? I know you mentioned that you you have a like a film background. What's that all about? Yeah, after I graduated college, I moved to Hollywood to try to be a screenwriter um, and actually worked for two years out there for a literary agent. So um, a guy who represented other other writers, and I would just read scripts and answer phones basically all day. Um, so yeah, like my background has always been in writing, mostly in like fiction writing, to believe it or not. Um, when I came back to Colorado, I had given up on that aspect of sort of like even the, the creative fields in general and decided to be a real estate investor and did that for eight, nine years is a very lucrative field to be in, but not one that stoked any type of passion. <laughs> you know, that was just like a job, a nine to five, a punch out uh, job. And um, but it set me up. That's how I spent my 20s, my 30s. You know, I started to fall in love with social media. I felt started falling in love with covering the league and thinking about it in those ways which I think is the best way to describe this. Like if we think about why the blog revolution has come about in the last 10 years or so, why like media has changed so much. A lot of it is, I think that people saw like, Oh man, new, a new platform comes online, social media. And it's like, Oh, we get to think of this in all new creative ways. I think this is happening again, by the way, with AI, this is part of why I'm so attracted to it, like as a concept, but when there's something new like that, it just was like, oh, wow, this is a new avenue for me to like express something that I had laid dormant for eight or nine years, this creative aspect of me. And then, of course, my love of basketball. You mentioned AI. I, I literally didn't sleep last night because I was chatting with the AI bot for the whole night. <laughs> I, I, was, I was making the, listen to this, I was making the AI make songs and sonnets in Serbian, in Cyrillic, and it was working fine. It was working pretty good. So the, the, the AI bots are crazy, man. They're, they're <laughs> I'm, crazy. I'm, and I'm, I'm obsessed really right perfect. now with, with the mid-journey. That's that's my thing. The uh, the like It's like you give it a prompt and it'll spit out an image for you. But this is this, I'm, I'm interested in all of it because these new AI tools are so good, whether it's text, whether it's video, whether it's music, whether it's photos, drawings, whatever. Being able to give AI prompts is in my opinion, going to be one of the big like skills of of the back half of the 21st century. Like how like are you good at Google? Are you good at research? If you're good at talking to AI, that'll also be a valuable skill. Put the pin on it because I, I think I might have a question about this at the end of the show. Sweet. So so tell me you you've been in the in the films and then you've transitioned to the real estate. Did those jobs give you any skills or experiences that helped you in a way to, to become a more successful media person? Um, only in one way, and that is for, for the real estate part of that. And that is that I was, it was my own business, right? I was my, I was a small business owner. So learning how to do that and all the challenges that come and the work that's required to be successful at it. To me, I'm very entrepreneurial by nature. I've only ever worked for two people in my life. Like right now, I don't work for anyone. I'm a partner of Brandon Spano. I'm not his employee. But I only worked for two people, once in Hollywood and once for a, a brief stint when I got back from back from L.A. Um, and so that was it. Like I, I don't know that I would have been as willing as like willing to take risks and as capable of handling the risks if I hadn't gone through it for a decade already. 
Yeah, that's that's that sounds fair. Okay, let's talk about the months that enabled DNVR to become reality. Okay, and you know this story. We we spoke about this before. It from my personal point of view, it looked like this. I I was not in the in the information loop at all. I had no idea what was happening, and I was at the seaside with my family in Greece, and you just dropped the news that you are leaving the stiffs. And then Brandon said, I'm leaving the stiffs. And I was like not speaking to my family for two days because I was depressed. I had no idea what's what's going to happen. I was so emotional. Did we not know each other at this involved. point? We just chatted a couple of times okay. on, on the Twitter DMs. Nothing more than that. How wild. Like, like, like I didn't feel like I can hop into your DMs as easily hey, as I up? do yeah, today. Okay. So sorry about that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So before you actually, like two, three days later, you just said, okay, we are making DNVR. It wasn't like a month of void for me. So can you tell me a bit about those months after sure. you left the Stiffs and 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 how how does it look in, in from your point of view? I'll give you a, a, a better one and this will come off uh, this. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a better one. There was a leak from 104.3 The Fans, Ross Sharon, an email that was sent in April of 2019. And it was the leak that said, like, ha ha, all these outlets talking nuggets and abs are doing terrible. I guess there's never a season for nuggets to talk nuggets or something like that. And it was kind of damning because the the it just showed how much they did. They like openly did not like covering the nuggets and abs and they were making fun of anyone who did. Rye Sharon had reached out to me shortly after that. We had been talking. I mean, I've known him for a long time. And he was like, can we meet? And I knew he was trying to like, hey, <laughs> I got to do some PR damage here. And he met. And I told him in that meeting, like, I have a vision for digital, the digital side of everything you do. I want to implement this or that. And I remember he at the time, and he wasn't the only one. I went mile high sports, uh, altitude, like altitude TV, altitude radio, everybody in town. I'd kind of had this pitch, this thing I had. And I remember him telling me like, I just don't think there's the thing that's going to work. <laughs> and he showed me all the numbers, all the spreadsheets and said, nobody really cares about nuggets. Nobody really cares about abs. If we do this, you know, whatever, give me that speech. It wasn't a month later that um, Brandon Spano reached out to me saying, Hey, we want you to come over and do the nuggets coverage. You know, and he had been doing this a couple of times. So when I met with him, this was probably May, June, maybe, maybe it was June. When I met with him, it was the same. It was a speech I'd already prepared. It was like, I don't want to come over and run your nuggets coverage. I want to come over and change the company. I want, I want, like, I see what you guys are doing. You've built something, but I have a vision that's completely different. And I want if, if, and do this. And Eric at the time was sort of brokering this, like these conversations. Eric was already selling t-shirts for BSN. So he had already sort of prepared Brandon for, Hey, you should look at him as more than just a nuggets guy, do this or that. And so it was in June that we started meeting and when I gave Brandon the pitch, he was that I was like, "Hey, no, it's bigger than that." He was like, "Loved it." He's like, "You know what? I think you're right." So it was really that summer that these things started going together, and it was by August or whenever that I was like, "Okay, I know what we're doing." And the pitch was the same thing you've been talking about six months before that with Brandon. It's literally the same thing. This is what I love about it the most. You know, is because you just you just needed a structure around you that will uh, that would enable you to 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 be your creative self which is which is pretty cool and pretty pretty sweet startup startup story for for anybody listening to this that that might have uh, great ideas too so during the years 
we've seen a lot of really great uh, media guys covering the Nuggets, you know, for the Stiffs, for the Denver Post, for the Athletic, while, while Athletic still had the, the Nuggets cover, coverage. We now, of course, have the Mile High Sports and DNVR and, and whatnot. But what stood out regarding you for me was that you you've been willing to expand to another continent and uh, uh what was the, the the what was the reason you said okay i want to speak to those crazy people that literally do not sleep because <laughs> they want to watch another serbian basketball phenom every night and 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 listen to them and and learn from them and and uh, uh make a, a new kind of story for for the nuggets so i should mention that while i was doing real estate over those nine years in my 20s i actually had a secondary job working for united airlines and i only worked there so i could fly for free i had actually kind of figured out a way to game the system where i was actually not working but an employee <laughs> um, a longer story for another day but over that decade basically me and my wife we both got to travel together and sometimes separately to all over the world. I mean, we got to go to some 30 countries, the short trips, you know, because you still have a life and this or that. But I could do little weekend getaways to go to Korea or go to, uh, you know, Hon Hon Nicaragua or, or Guatemala or whatever. So I got to travel a lot. And a lot of this idea with Serbia was the same thing. Like, obviously, we have Nikola Jokic. Obviously, I'm interacting with Serbs all the time since his arrival, basically, all these people. So it's I was already interested in learning other people's cultures, already interested in travel and just in the way different cultures can reveal new things about the world because they see it through a different perspective. So the idea of like, hey, we should go to Serbia was one, we have all these Serbs we interact with, yourself obviously first among them, of like, hey, we have all these people, it'd be cool to actually go meet them. But also just imagine what all we would learn from a trip like that. And we learned a hundred times more than I expected, but I knew there would be something that if we went, we would take something from that trip. But before you took uh, the trip, you first did, in my opinion, your second big artistic project, which was the three-part podcast you did with Dr. Travis Heat about right. Nikola Jokic, yeah. where you ended with a whole episode about Inat. Yeah, and yeah, if, yeah. if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just stop listening to us because we've been speaking about Inat for, for, for a long time. So how exciting was it for you to go so much out of your everyday routines? And I apologize if I'm grossly oversimplifying here, but talk about psychology to a university professor to try and get a better grip and understanding of Nikola Jokic and his background. I mean, it's just interesting to me. My general way I'd cover anything is that if it's interesting to me, I can't be alone. What what is the thing if you're it's better to be interested than interesting, meaning like it's better if you just take interest in a subject, people are going to feel that interest and I think that's what it is of whether it's psychology, whether it's Serbian culture, whatever it is. If it, I'm interested in it, so you're going to come along with me on this journey. Um so I, I think there's probably just that that main aspect of it, but then like I said, man, Serbian culture has been pretty fascinating. Like there was that rich history that I didn't expect to, I had heard a little bit of it obviously from you, but going there and kind of feeling it is the thing that was like, Hey man, and I still believe this. I mean, a hundred invisible threads, I think is up to something like 40,000 views and it continues to go. Like I like that it, most videos on YouTube plateau after two, three weeks and then just never, nobody ever sees them again. 
I'm glad that people are continuing to go to that to discover that and then continuing to share it. Like every time somebody's like, I finally watched it, they tweet out it. Um, but it's just such a story that I just know everybody would like if you sat down to commit to. Hundreds invisible threads. You you talked about uh, why you made it, uh, what you wanted to accomplish with it, and you did it with in, in flying colors, if I may say so. It's free on YouTube, guys. If you haven't watched it, come on, just just like stop this show right now and just go to the go to the hundred invisible threads. It's way better than what we're doing right now. So, uh, what I wanted to ask you about your visit, it was pretty dramatic before you actually. Uh, uh, got on the plane uh, with, with with the crew. Can, can you share a bit about it? How how tough was it for for you guys to 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 even come to Serbia? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it was very tough. I can tell you that. I mean, all of these. Here's the great thing you learn. I mean, I mentioned like being an entrepreneur in real estate. That's it prepared me because I was prepared for this. Like the this trip was and continues to be an enormous risk. Uh, it, it has not proven to be like profitable in the like, hey, did we make more money than what we've spent into it? The answer is no. But to me, it's profitable in that nobody else did this. Nobody else would ever even think to do this. Nobody else would attempt to make it or attempt to do the things that we did. And yet I'm extremely grateful that they exist. I think that the people that consume that content were grateful that it exists. And that's how I kind of operate. So it took a lot of risk, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of just like a leap of faith that, hey, we're going to do this thing. I didn't know what we were going to make out of it too, by the way. This really was seven guys going on a vacation. <laughs> and, you know, but, but good things and one, came out of And it. one of them being really stressed out about actually doing something. And one being stressed out, <laughs> very, very true. And I, all the guys were incredible. I mean, that trip to me was perfect. Like there's no regrets, no notes. Vote was incredible. Dev was incredible. Eric, like every single person was just so perfect at what they were bringing to the table and um, something great came out of it. And like I said, to be a great company, the bigger you get, the more you have to think about we can't waste opportunity. We can't waste risk. But I'm glad that in this one, we got to just say, we don't know what we're doing. It's a lot of money. Let's go do it. You are now six months removed from the visit to Belgrade and Sombor. And now that your feelings are a bit settled about it. What's your stonk report on Serbia? What? How did you feel about or or expect? Because I know you're a huge nerd. You probably did a lot of research before coming to Serbia, and then what you got to see in Serbia and feel in Serbia. So what's what are what are the biggest surprises for you? Do, do you have? It's hard. I'll say this: <laughs> Serbia, I think, is among the more tough nations to understand. Be like just historical. I'm saying before experience, just like if you go into the history of Yugoslavia just alone, it's not like the history of Germany or Spain where you can kind of be like, okay, this is this. It's very, very, there's lots of cultures and languages and everything else and histories that come into it. So to say that I have like this, I have a healthier understanding of how complex it is, not necessarily a healthy understanding of what it is. Um, but I, I don't know if you're asking me like, what is my takeaway? The thing that the countries I've been to in more than any other have been off the beaten path. Um, I've traveled the third world a lot. I've been all through Africa, all through Central America and Southeast Asia and these places. Um, you know, the thing that I like most about travel is the culture and the people. And most cultures are the same in a lot of different ways, but it's, it's like the little subtleties are what are great. And to me, that's what Serbia was. That's what made it so great. I put it in the documentary, but it wasn't the most beautiful place I've ever visited by any means. 
And it wasn't anything that I tell people like, oh, if you go, you have to see this or you have to do this. But we were lucky enough that we have a big enough recognition and new enough people that we got to really, truly get to immerse ourselves in like the people and the everyday culture and their perspective on the world. And more importantly, their perspective on basketball. And it was just, I have such a deep appreciation for that part of it. It's it's uh, it's from the left field. I don't know. I, I have to ask you. You're a family family guy. I'm a family guy. Nikola Jokic is a family guy now. Do you feel that you understand him better now <laughs> that he is a husband or and father, or is it just too far away? Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I have to be careful in how much I say I understand Nikola. We all have theories about this guy. And this is true of Jamal Murray. This is true of Bones Highland. All of these guys, like we don't really know him. Jokic, people will be surprised to to know that I probably talked to Nikola less than I talked to the average Denver Nuggets player, just by nature of who he is. Like, you know, significantly closer to other players. Um, but so I don't, I don't, I can't say that I really have that type of insight into him as a person. I have, think I have insight into Serbian culture at large, in particular the culture that emanates from Belgrade. But to say I like understand Jokic. That would be going too far. Okay, so so the trip failed. You, you, you <laughs> need to just you just need to do another one and 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 get closer. I guess. Hey, man, you never know. You never know. That's right. So this is a perfect segue for the very end. Do you have an unfulfilled dream? And I mean professionally i'm not talking about your bird watching dreams what <laughs> might be the reason for me or anybody else to sit with you and do the part four of this interview maybe I, ai yeah yeah ai <laughs> i really love um i really love 100 invisible threads i think it to me best it's the best thing i've ever made you know professionally and i think it best like pulled on all of my individual talents and life experiences and i would love to do it at again and again and, and at bigger scales not just necessarily like going i mean i would love to go to lithuania and do a similar story and go to france and go to turkey and greece and do these things but i even just mean i enjoy on occasion doing that type of long form hey let's really learn about a topic here so the documentary documentary making or just longer feature making that took an enormous that killed me in rg like we put a lot of hours into that one and and we almost didn't make it out so i we would need more resources i think to try to do that again but i hope that that's on on the in the future for me very good very good adam i want to thank you to to taking a time for off your uh free day i mean i guess it's a free day in the in the uh on the camera time well in the dn we are because you already had a the Locked on Nuggets podcast like a couple of hours ago. So thank you everybody for, for joining us for another edition of Serbian Corner. Uh, we will see you again. Yeah. Belaglavi soup. soup. Yes. Belaglavi soup. soup. Yes. Belaglavi soup. Uh, it's, it's a bird. It's a very big bird. It's a, uh, how do you call it? Uh, uh the birds that that go not after the the living animals but the dead animals oh so yeah like a vulture yeah the the vulture yeah it's and it's i think it's endemic in serbia it's you can see it in serbia nowhere else and All it's right. a beautiful bird 
Yes, so you you haven't seen the Beloglavi soup, so yeah, there you go. At least, at least, you you can do that next time if if nothing else. So thank you everybody for for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Uh, stay stay with the DNVR Nuggets crew throughout the week. Watch the awesome pregame and postgame shows, and I'll see you later. Eat them on Nuggets. Eh?